Hey everyone, just wanted to apologize for the late release on this episode. I have myself queued up about a month behind, and as we have everything sorted, we should be churning out news episodes much more quickly, especially as the weather has warmed up. I've finished moving into my house. Joe is completely onboarded with us now, and we have a nice little routine and stuff worked out. So, I hope you're looking forward to another fun news episode. At least a little bit of this may seem a little outdated, but could be news to you. And we hope that you enjoy. And if you do, be sure to leave us a comment on Google, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere that you get your podcasts from. Thanks, and enjoy today's show. Welcome to the Forever Classic Podcast, the show seeking enlightenment through video games, films, and other geek culture. I am Joseph Simpson, aka The Daddy Gamer, and as usual, I am joined by... Hey everybody, it's Alex McCumbers. And Zack Snyder. Not that one. Not that one. When are we getting your cut of Justice League? Not that one! <laughs> I still want. I still want this one's cut. Oh no, that'd be so weird. That would be hilarious if you recut it and sold it as the Zack Snyder cut. In one of the podcast episodes we did with Scaleboy, see that, that that's what one of the developers was talking about. They're like, wow, you should do a Let's Play series or something called the Snyder Cut. And I'm like, I don't know when or where, Zack, but we are doing some sort of production called the Snyder Cut. <laughs> I probably get a lot of cra- a lot of traffic. Just a um, uh, mistaken director identity. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. We could really play that SEO up. Yeah. So welcome to another rip-roaring news wrap-up episode of the Forever Classic Podcast. We're trying to do these weekly now, even though they're not getting to our podcast catchers. In in the fashion of, like, close to when we're doing them, you can watch them live on Twitch, usually on Sunday evenings. And we're sitting down and just going through some news and catching up with everybody. So if you're into that sort of thing, join us on twitch.tv slash games, And hopefully these will eventually start popping up on the podcast apps a little quicker than usual. We're working on it. There's just two or three backlogged episodes that we got to get done. And then two or three interview episodes got to get done too. So it's uh, it's on the way. Huzzah. Huzzah. Yeah. And we're still getting used to trying to figure out the whole, you know, the three of us as a team. Yeah, yeah, we're still working through just some some of the, like, I, I wouldn't call it growing pains because we're, we're figuring it out pretty quickly. It's just a matter of working together and then maintaining, you know, who's doing posts on the website. And then we've got some other website things we're fiddling with. So there's a lot, lot going on. But here pretty soon we're going to start catching up and then it's going to be really, really good. Yeah. We've already got a lot. I want to get basically us established before Final Fantasy VII comes out, because that's going to be a huge project, I think, for a lot of us. And I want to do, like, all sorts of various little posts and essays and stuff on Final Fantasy. Yeah, I think it'd be cool to, like, revisit everything, specifically Final Fantasy VII, because there's a lot there. There, The movie, the side games. Oh, God, that would be sweet if, like... Leading up to, this would be a very large undertaking, but leading up if we had a, a breakdown essay of all the different Final Fantasy VII things out there. God, that's a lot. I don't know if I want to do that. I, I'm already thinking about doing a breakdown. Isn't there an anime too? Uh, Yeah, yeah. There's like a four episode anime that takes place in the bit where Zack 
Yeah, it follows Zack. Yeah. Up to the point where he confronts Sephiroth in the anime. It's it's like an episode or two. I remember watching that in middle school. We'd like find downloads of it on LimeWire and shit. So why is Final Fantasy VII on our brains all of a sudden again, despite it being pretty exciting? Well, a massive, as far as scope, trailer came out recently. And this covered a lot of the different characters, including a bunch of the minor characters that seem like they're going to have a much larger role. At least... There's going to be more depth added to them. We see a lot of the, like, Shinra organizations and various Turk members. There's a new Turk character named Rosh that looks pretty cool. And so this trailer is really awesome. And one of the things that kind of built off that is there's a new song, too, by Nobu Amatsu and various other musicians. Yeah. So we have a story on our website about this. Good new music is great. It's a very good song. It's very, it, it really fit the style of the, the trailer as well, like the editing and pacing. I'm just waiting to hear the sad songs coming from all the heartfelt moments. There's going to be a lot of that, I think. Because the audio can be so nice now. I don't know. I've played it a few times. Final Fantasy VII? Yes. But I, I wouldn't say I'm particularly nostalgic for Final Fantasy VII. Right. But that trailer, the way it was edited and the song made me feel nostalgic for Final Fantasy VII. Right? Which, uh, you know, kudos to them. And, like, I think they did good with uh, um, selecting minor but still iconic scenes mm-hmm. from the game and, like, fully realizing them. I mean, we finally get to see what Cloud's going to look like in drag in this particular reimagining. And I'm, a, I'm here for it. It's so good. <laughs> as soon as I saw it, I was kind of like, why isn't this a costume option in Smash? I hope that it gets added eventually. That would be great. Give me Lady Cloud Sakurai, please. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, give it to us now, Sakurai. You haven't given us enough. I know you're like basically on your deathbed, but no, I... (laughs) That guy is putting so much energy into the world. And you can tell with all these DLC characters. All the DLC characters he does just seems like something that he's so excited and fan-centric about. He's like, man, let me tell you why I like Terry Bogard. Yeah, I love seeing him being so excited, and then I feel bad when there are people that just hate what he announced Yeah, when he was so excited about it. I mean, at the end of the day... Just let the man create. I don't think he cares, man. I think he just puts out what he wants to to hell with everybody else. I think at this point, yeah, he's just like, I'm just going to keep doing what I want to do, because if I don't do what I want and what I'm passionate about, I'm going to burn out, and the content isn't going to be as good. I might deliver a character that someone else wants, or content that someone else wants, but the quality that I care about isn't going to be there. Yeah. Uh, Zach, do you have a whole lot of nostalgia for 7? Not a lot for me, personally, because I didn't play it as much as all of my friends growing up. Yeah, that's the same for me as well. I didn't really play it until college. Yeah. Yeah. And by then I had played lots of other games that I think are better games. Zach, did you beat 7? I did beat 7 one time. I've beaten nine, like, several times, but... Yeah. It is. It really is. But I, like... Final Fantasy VII was the first game I remember having curse words because it was available as a demo, and at the time I was in, like, fourth grade, and our school was using PlayStations as educational machines, but our professor had a copy of Final Fantasy VII and was like, oh, we've got PlayStations now, but here's this really cool game... And it was like an after-school program, and she was showing us, like, you know, here's some of the games that are actually coming out now. 
and I was just kind of blown away by it, even though I, I still thought, even at that age, that the Super Nintendo just looked better aesthetically. I was already in the mindset of, like, art style over graphical uh, polygon pushes. So that was pretty interesting. But I, that was the first, like, 3D game I remember seeing. It was the first thing I saw that had curse words. And I was pretty excited about it. So I, I played it as a kid, but I, I think I beat it maybe as a teenager way later. And since then, I think I've beat it two or three other times. It's not my favorite, but I do like it a lot. I think the Materia system is really good. Yeah, the Materia is pretty sweet. I One thing I think that the, it's some of the strongest is every, every character's design is very recognizable as a silhouette. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know they've adjusted it and changed it over the years and added to it, but it's still still very much the what makes those characters those characters have become iconic. From, you know, Sephiroth being one of the most recognizable and iconic villains ever, and they're, you know, featured primarily only in one game. Yeah, that character design work by Nomura is really, like, the stuff of legend. Like, from that point on, they really started to blend the anime of the, like, 80s and 90s into these fantasy stories, and that's really where... Final Fantasy VII became so iconic is because it was so different from what they were doing. Tifa's outfit honestly isn't really anything spectacular. It's not over the top or crazy. Like Cl- Cloud's got his spiky hair and his Buster Sword, which is just like easily recognizable. But then you see, you know, Tifa, but she's still super recognizable, even though she's basically in a white T-shirt and some shorts and punches and kicks things. There's just something about the way that the character's proportioned and drawn drawn on screen that still makes that character visually just distinct from just any average person wearing a similar outfit. Yeah. Cosplayers still have to be intentional about how they put that outfit together to make it actually still look like Tifa. Otherwise, it just kind of looks like they're wearing a regular outfit. And I think that's really, like, they took simple designs and were still able to make them good designs Mm -hmm. above and beyond what we would normally think of as, like, a crazy anime main character. And it kind of, it goes both ways, because you have a character as simple as Tifa or as simple in concept as Kate Sith compared to something like Vincent, which is very complex, and kind of clashes in a lot of ways. And you have a lot of, like, you have this whole range of character designs. I mean, yeah, you know, the Buster Sword, uh, a gun arm. Like, these are just crazy, wacky concepts, And but you still have characters that's like, I'm a ninja, I'm just a ninja, just straight up. Yeah. I'm a vampire. I'm, you know, I'm a an experimented animal that can talk. Like, you, it's a, it's a really well blended cast of characters, I think is its strongest point. Mm-hmm. And visually designed as an ensemble work really great together. Yeah, no, I think they work great together as a team. There's lots of different elements and they each mostly have like a collar concept to them. Yeah. That's true too. Yeah, there's a good spectrum, even though it's a bunch of like earth tones, aside from like Ares or Aerith. Yeah, I'm gonna have to get used to that. <coughs> yeah. But yeah. I think one of the coolest things to come out of this trailer news was the news of all these concerts that they're doing uh, starting after the game's released in the summer of 2020 and going into 2021. So this is being conducted by Arnie Roth, who was also the person that did the conducting for the Distant Worlds concerts. And you can find concert dates and tickets by, you know, doing a quick search 
of the Orchestra World Tour for Final Fantasy VII Remake, and we have a link on our website. But it's starting in Los Angeles. There's one in Denver. I think they hit Denver twice within the next year or two. So there's a lot of really great opportunities to see, like, the remastered Final Fantasy VII music that they use in this game. And to me, that's a big deal. Like, that is really, really cool. For sure, because I missed being able to go to one of the, the, like, Metal Gear concert or Metal Gear Solid concerts. Ooh, that would have been a good one. Right? Um, Being able to see that would be awesome. You know what would be more awesome? What's that? Somebody decided to fly one of us out to watch one of those. Tokyo! (laughs) There's one in Tokyo, there's one in Bangkok. I would go to either. Speaking of video game concerts, uh, the Undertale concert is supposed to be really cool, because there's, like, a like a, a crowd decision thing that's happening in real time that determines what songs they play. It's pretty crazy. I don't know if that's still touring, but it's really cool. Is the I think the song title is Megalovania or something like that. Um, yeah, the I, like classic song. Yeah, no, I hear tons of really good remixes of it. Mm-hmm. A few years ago, uh, me and a friend went to Video Games Live, which is just video game music oh, performed cool. by a professional orchestra. Um so just from all sorts of different games, uh, they had a they brought a, a guy came up on stage and performed like this really complex Super Mario medley blindfolded, oh, which wow. is pretty cool. Uh, at before the concert, they held a Guitar Hero uh, contest. The person who won it got to play Guitar Hero on stage with a live orchestra performing the song behind them. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> like talk about <laughs> talk about winning the right to just literally live out your dreams of being a rock star through Guitar Hero with no actual like, music talent presumably. That's crazy. We didn't get there in time to participate in the Guitar Hero contest and it was kind of a bummer cuz my friend is really good at it and probably would have been the one up on stage. Um like we I think we saw the score or whatever and my friend was like I consistently beat that score. Every time I play that song or whatever, because they had everyone playing the same song for fairness or whatever. But just a really cool, like, they had, you know, a guitarist up there performing the the guitar licks, but then they had the orchestra filling in everything else. Um, But it was like, I know they did like Metal Gear Solid, Final Fantasy. It was a really cool experience. And because it was like video game centric, they were like, we want you to cheer. We want, you know, orchestra hall typically isn't the place where people are like screaming and yelling and like cheering and things like that it's no. usually like a quiet a quiet appreciation for the music because you don't want to interrupt the performance but you like only you know, clap some, when the conductor turns around like i've been to a couple orchestra performances right this is where and I they're like sometimes opinion of so many people with live performance because i think it should be enjoyed thoroughly and if the people on stage get distracted by you then they're doing the job kind of wrong or right, or they should be reacting to you and using it to fuel what they're doing. Right. And they're they're But the, the guy putting it on, the guy who runs it um, is a Tommy Telecoretto. Oh, Tommy Tallarico. He's the one doing yes. the, uh, the Amico yeah. system and did a bunch of music production for various games. He was recently on an episode of the Argcast. Yeah. So he, he's like the, he's like the guy who, put it all together and did this whole thing and he's like sometimes a cellist just wants to feel like a rock star and so when they're up there performing if you hear a medley melody that you recognize and are excited about you let us know and it'll just like get them pumped that they're performing something that you are excited about that's really cool and it was just a really cool concert to go to so there are ways that you can watch this distant world's 
concert series. There's albums that you can pick up. You can see various recordings of it on YouTube. This looks to be a rip of like a DVD or something that I just put in the chat. So some of it may not be official, but you can enjoy these concerts if you missed them. But I think at the end of the day, getting the chance to see video game music performed in an orchestra setting or like by the Black Mages, that metal band, would be super, super cool. I would love to go to this new seven concert series. I'm like in the back of my mind thinking, all right, how much is it to go to Denver? (laughs) (laughs) Now riddle me this. I like the idea of remote play. I've done it a few times on my Vita, on my iPhone. How freaking cool would it be to do it on the Switch, though? I think that it's a great exploration for Sony. Uh-huh. With them basically waving the white flag when it comes to portable gaming. Mm-hmm. They, they've basically conceded, it seems. And that's a real shame because I've always enjoyed what Sony does with their portable units. Right. I think they've put out really solid things. They just couldn't capture the market and it's disappointing but that's just kind of what happened they they put everything they had into both the psp and the playstation vita tried to push what the systems were capable of doing Mm -hmm. tried tried to change the game when it came to portable gaming and maybe they were a bit of ahead of its time maybe people weren't ready for that type of experience in portable gaming because look at the switch now it's basically a big playstation vita yeah yeah with Pokemon. I think that's the key piece to all this, is whatever system Pokemon <laughs> is on, that's what people want. And that's... that's they, they buy it for Pokemon, and then they play other things. But in Japan, things like Monster Hunter really sold the PSP. Yeah. Um, I also think at the time that they were released is where everybody was ramping up graphics into what they are now. So I think graphically it wasn't able to handle as well as like your native consoles like PS three ps4 shit at the time was it ps2 was that still there yeah give or take yeah ps2 was around forever though like even into ps3 yeah it was really successful it was the most top selling unit of all time but this story comes out of polygon comes from austin goslin and basically the the whole gist of it is a reddit user shared on reddit that there was a survey going around about remote play and in that survey there were questions about would you be interested in playing PS4 games on something like the Xbox or a generic Apple TV, Android TV, whatever? And apparently there's a section that mentions a, quote, generic handheld device. And a lot of people are thinking <laughs> that is probably the Switch. And I think yeah. putting both that and xCloud and Stadia on things like the Switch is just cool. But I'm worried about the performance of it. Because, I mean, I've played on the Vita and it works fine. I've played on my phone and it works surprisingly well. But, like... On the Switch? I don't know, man. It would be cool, but it worries me. Yeah, I mean, I definitely would see what the what the integration would be like and how well they're able to pull it off. But if they are, I'm definitely down for more options. Yeah. Because there are times where I'm like, man, I really want to kind of... I don't have a good setup for remote play right now. If I, have a, if I had a Vita, I'd be like pretty well set. Because there are times where I'm sitting in bed and just can't sleep, but I don't want to necessarily get up and go to the living room i want to still relax and i don't really have a good setup to do that on my phone or tablet without my phone falling off my lap kind of so like i don't have it a stand for it or a good place for it to be while i try it and so i just end up playing the switch but i'm in the middle and craving playing more horizon zero dawn or something so that's kind of like where i'm at on it and i'm always for more games on more things Exactly. I think a more worthwhile use of their time is something that they seem to be doing. 
and that's bringing all these Sony exclusives to the PC platform like they're doing with Horizon Zero Dawn. And yeah. eventually we're getting Death Stranding via uh, 501st games, or 505. So oh, maybe... That seems better, in my opinion. I cannot wait for the modding community to get a hold of that game. Death Stranding or Horizon? Yeah. Well, either, but Death Stranding, for sure. You could do some fun stuff with Death Stranding, just because it's already out of this world and kind of a wacky concept. I just think somebody needs to put a mechanical Rathalos into Horizon Zero Dawn. Please and thank you. (laughs) That would be cool. Just turn it into Mecha Monster Hunter. It'll be great. But yeah, so ba- yeah. basically this comes as a rumor, uh-huh. a possibility from a survey that someone took. I've seen this not on other places other than just Polygon. It seems like a likely thought though, right? Like it makes sense I because think... the Switch is selling so fast and PlayStation is such a strong brand, but they also kind of seem to ignore everyone else. So it'll be interesting yeah. to see if they like even consider putting it on the Switch. Because at the end of the day, we I... are getting PC stuff. I think what's I think what's important to take away is that they are asking the questions. They aren't making any decisions. Mm-hmm. They're asking the questions and they're talking to and listening to their fan base, which is huge. They're like, "Hey, what would you say? What would your interest be if we did this thing?" Yeah. Cuz that's what the whole survey was. It was it wasn't just remote play on generic mobile device. It was like, questions about the PlayStation, like, overall general broadness of PlayStation things. Yeah. And this was one of the questions in this, was about remote play. Do you use it? And what would you say, what would you think if we brought it to other things sort of thing? We'll see. And, yeah, it, there's a lot of possibility there with what, what it is. Maybe they've got something else working on, the unannounced project. I don't know. I just hope they get back to handheld space eventually. But speaking of rumors and people kind of extrapolating out of very minor (laughs) details, check out this story. So the Wonderful 101 is something that's been teased a lot by Platinum Games, the folks that brought us games like Bayonetta, Nier Automata, various other projects here and there. Uh, They've got a new one coming soon, I think, called Babylon's Fall that looks really cool. Some new footage of that was recently shared. But they have been sharing just little snippets that everybody kind of leads that we might get a port of the Wonderful 101 on the Wii U to the Switch. And apparently there's a fan base for that game. I never played it, but this new tweet that came out... I played a demo. I thought the demo was really fun. I just never ended up picking up the game. Yeah, but this new tweet comes out. It's got Kamiya, Hideki Kamiya, and people are like, whoa, hold up. He's got a Switch on his desk. And also his clock on his monitor says 101. And he also has an Iron Giant on his desk, which I, I respect. Good taste. <laughs> what do you guys think about what Wonderful 101? I mean, I like Platinum, fair enough. I think that they had a good, like, a, an interesting idea that um, had pretty much everything going for it. It just, I don't know if other games came out at the at the same time that distracted people from playing it, um, or maybe it's it it only appealed to a certain number of people because you are controlling basically a crowd of people instead of a single character. So maybe the story didn't, wasn't quite as grabbing. I don't know, but um, it's kind of an interesting concept for an action game and platinum knows how to do action. Uh, And they, this was kind of like an original idea that they had to put a spin on that. And I thought that was pretty cool. Um, I think the big rumor 
big part of this rumor, though, is the possibility of it no longer being a Nintendo exclusive. Oh, originally yeah. It was, an, Wii, it was originally a Wii U exclusive, and if the funding of this pushes them towards looking to Kickstarter, as part of the Kickstarter goals, they're going to be looking at porting it to more than just the Switch. So possibility of this coming to PlayStation 4 or Xbox as a part of those stretch goals. Some other games that came out that summer include things like uh, Diablo 3 hit consoles, Bioshock Infinite hit Mac, apparently, which isn't super big. Uh, Dungeons & Dragons Chronicles of Mistara, that hit Wii U. That's a good game. I, I have that one on Wii U, and that one's pretty fun to just fire up every now and then just because it's just a crazy beat-em-up. I've never yeah. played it. It's a very good beat-em-up by Capcom. God, I love Capcom. They're so good. <laughs> a Realm Reborn came out the month before that, too, so that was another big, like, Japanese release. Right. Yeah. That would have been a lot of a lot of hard-hitting things right on either side of this. And the Wii U wasn't a particularly hard-hitting system. That's the big thing. If you were getting the Wii U, it was for Mario Maker, and I don't think Mario Maker was out by then. Well, I mean, Mario Maker didn't appeal to me, but I, get, I appreciate what that game does and what it means to the community it's built yeah but it doesn't just appeal it doesn't really appeal to me personally it's best game um, on the wii u. i got the wii u because i actually think it's a legitimately really cool system and i still play it semi-regularly like i fire up the games i love the gamepad i love what it can do i love the multiplayer possibilities on it yeah um it's a cool little system i thought about selling mine for a long time but because i've come into this like games media space i basically just try to get one of each console so i have various things to work with and so i'm gonna hang on to the wii u i like it just fine zach you ever play have... any platinum games i'm not sure <laughs> you've played bayonetta um beautiful joe i think back in the day was platinum ah that's, that's are they involved with devil may cry Hideki Kami, I believe, worked on the Devil May Cry series. Okay. So I watched Beautiful Joe. I want to say one of the guys were playing it when I was growing up uh, around that time. But I don't believe I've actually like owned and played any of them. Because I've not played Bayonetta. Bayonetta's pretty good. I have one I and like two it. on the Switch. I played them on like normal or easy or something on a plane ride, and it worked out pretty well. They're fun. Kind of silly. Very silly. Uh, we've got uh, Rakimdar in the the chat noting that their naming and branding of the console was confusing to consumers. Yes. And he's absolutely right. Wii U does sound like it's an extension or additional hardware for the original Wii console, not a second console. Yeah, I remember yeah. a lot of people having confusion between a Wii and a Wii U um, where we were. Well, it was the first time that Nintendo had, like, it's not like they had the Nintendo 2. Right. They had the home entertainment console, the Super Nintendo, the Nintendo 64, GameCube, Wii, and then suddenly they used Wii again and added a U. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? Just, I worked <laughs> at GameStop around that era, and so many just like average players would come in not really knowing about the nuances of the game industry, and they're just like, I don't understand the Wii U. Is that like a, just a pad I buy for the... <laughs> I had so many people buy Wii U games and then bring them back because they put them in their Wii and it wouldn't work. <laughs> and that's yeah. where I that's how, where I fear the Xbox is going to go this upcoming generation. And if that happens, I think Xbox is going to pivot into services. Pivot into what? Yeah, we'll see. Services entirely. They'll just do xCloud and they'll make games and put them elsewhere and that type of thing. 
They'll probably keep hmm. their Xboxes, but I don't think they're going to do very good. That's, I guess that's um, the one thing I can give PlayStation's naming credit to is because they go four or five. Doesn't fit mm-hmm. in the other one. Yeah. Speaking to uh, cool consoles, did you see the new Switch design they announced this week? Dude, I don't even like Animal Crossing, and I want this thing. <laughs> uh, I am with you on that. I am with you on that. I have no intention of playing Animal Crossing ever, but that console looks so cute. Now, Zach, you're the I'll... Animal Crossing expert. What do you got on this? Uh, we and me and Lauren were looking at this the other day, actually, and we were talking about... Yeah, so you guys <laughs> have a single switch between the two of you, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, everybody in my household, all three of us have our own switch. So, And still, <laughs> that and mine, I still want this one. <laughs> no, it's great, and it's a, one of the first skinned ones, yeah? Well, there's been a couple, but nothing as dramatic as this one. This one's very peaceful looking. Well, the other Look ones were thing. like contest winning skinned things, correct? Well, you could get things like the 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 Eevee and Pikachu version had a special one. Uh, yeah. I believe there was a Smash Brothers one that had a unique design on the dock in the back of the unit. There's a Monster Hunter one too, I think somewhere. That might have been Japan exclusive. So they've done this type of thing before, but this one is just like real unique. And it feels to be the most dramatic variant they've done so far. Well, it sounds like they they might be releasing the dock and the Joy-Cons as separate purchasable parts. Maybe. So if, you, if you're like, oh, that dock is super nice, or the, I like the colors of those Joy-Cons, but I don't want to drop $300 on a console to get those colors, there, um, there might be an option to buy just the pieces of it that you like mm-hmm. um but i believe the switch console itself does have a design on the back it does Is that right yeah it's yeah. got little trees and oceans and that type of thing embossed into yeah. the back so nice looking yeah. oh, i like the, the dual tone joy cons yeah the light green the kind and of the light like, blue i love pastels well yeah but on the on the back side they're white oh mm-hmm. yeah it fits our so color, they're too. they're like, Even if the you look ropes, at, the little like things you put on your wrist are different colors. Right. Because mm-hmm. my Joy-Cons are solid all the way through. There's no difference aside from the buttons and the joy- joysticks. Uh-huh. And I like the kind of like what they got going on here, like multiple colors and things like that, which you have. I haven't seen outside of the modding community. Yeah, there's some great mods you can get, though, if you just like jump on eBay or Wish or something. You can get shell replacements. And my favorite ones are the light purple transparent because it makes it look like an old Game Boy Color. I thought about doing yep. that to mine. That would be fun. Maybe when I eventually replace my Joy-Cons, I'll do that because I've got some bad Joy-Con drift on that left side because I have a, a launch unit and it's starting to wear out. I Because ha- I, Nintendo has the, rep- the – if you send it in, you go on the website, you make a report, they, they pay for the shipping, they fix it for free and send it back. Really easy. Yeah, the you're, thing just with that, your, you're just without your Joy-Con for a couple weeks. I went to do that, and they wanted me to call them, and I never have the time to call them because I'm in Alaska, and it's I don't just hard to find to the thing. They, my situation in particular, they're like, oh, you need to call us and like verify some stuff, and I just couldn't. I could not oh, find weird. the time for it. I would try it again. Yeah, I mean, it's probably doable. Yeah, I'm in a position like I had to... I probably wouldn't have beaten Skellboy when I did had I not pulled out our controller. Uh, out of all the stuff we unpacked because the Joy-Con was like really messing me up. Mm-hmm. Mm. Scoutboy you have to be fairly precise with. It's surprisingly tough. Yeah, and I kept getting turned around in fights. 
wasn't very helpful. <laughs> That's a cool game. If you all haven't listened to that interview, we had all three devs of Amike Games. That episode is live now. It's a good one. It is. It was really fun. Zach, something yeah. else is coming to Switch. Mm-hmm. We're going to get the uh, the Outer Worlds coming to Switch, which is pretty cool. It's going to be like... That's that Fallout-like game. Yeah, Space Fallout. Pretty much. <laughs> so... The, the the key thing here I think is it's a it's a it's a pretty full RPG a little bit shorter than I think a lot of like like it's shorter than I think a Fallout experience yeah which is like what it's you mostly compared to sink in hundreds of hours into the Bethesda RPGs kind of just because they're right. aimless but Outer Worlds yeah. is pretty goal oriented now you've played this to completion haven't you Joe yes I have uh, I I got to review it on the PS4 um, and I think that when they first announced the game. I was originally sitting on, you know what, I'm going to wait for the Switch version and buy the Switch version because this looks like a game I would like to play wherever I want mm-hmm. because this looks like a fun game to explore on the go or in a road trip or up at the cabin or whatever. This just looks like a good game to just play. It looks like they're going to be promising the full experience on the Switch. I don't know what that means in terms of performance or if they're going to have to like lower the graphics qualities at all. Time will tell. Um, once we people get hands-on with it. Um, the big thing to note is there will be a physical release, but it's mm-hmm. literally only the box uh, yes. because uh, it will include a download code for the digital version. There is no physical cart, and which is a disappointment. I'm against that as somebody who physically collects a lot of media, and I think about things like if I buy a game, I want it to be playable within 10 to 15 years because maybe I'll share it with somebody or maybe I'll come back to yeah. it later. But my, I really appreciate... The number really of games I hand to someone else to try, I'm like, hey, I like yeah. this game, you should try it, and I hand it to them, and then they can take the physical copy and play it. I do that all the time. I'm yeah. just that kind of gamer. Um, I can't do that with this because it's tied to my account on my console. No, and the only thing that I've learned from this particular approach to retail is that this works because Fortnite famously does this as well, where... It's just a download code, or it's, like, just the install or whatever on the disc, if there's anything on the disc, if there's even a disc yeah. in those releases. But the reason that those are so successful is, at the end of the day, it puts that game on the shelf. And so your average people that are just, like, going to Target or whatever to pick up a new game, they see it and they buy it. And I appreciate now that after all these collectors started discovering games that didn't have anything in them, they raised a stink about it, and so now it comes standard, like, hey... This does not include a game card. This is a download. Yep. So I yeah, appreciate that. that. And so I'm, I I'm up, not near as I, up in arms about this as I used to be. I ended up calling it shelf candy. Yeah. Because you're basically you, you. The only the main reason why someone might pick this up is if they hadn't heard of it before and they walked into the store and saw it and they're like, oh, that looks fun, and they grabbed it. Um, or someone who really likes to show off their collection on their shelf. And they want to showcase yeah. what games they own to people who come over. And so when there's nothing in the box, it's shelf candy. Mm-hmm. You, and there are people that a, are into that. Your copy of The Outer Worlds came with a free shelf decoration. Yeah. Which more power to you because it's the same price. Yeah, I kind of wish it was so, cheaper. But, you know. For 60 for sixty bucks, you can have a box as well. Mm-hmm. So you might as, well, might as well get that extra bit of plastic while you're at it. Now, I've only played a little bit of The Outer Worlds, but judging on the visuals, it seems like the type of art style that's easily scaled down, so I imagine the Switch version should be pretty doable. But it's all about performance, right? Like, if this comes out yep. and it 
performs like a hot potato and nobody yeah. wants to play it, then people are going to say that and it won't be playable for, you know, several months. So they really got to land this March release pretty hard. That comes out March 6th. This is the type of game I want to play on PC, though. Like, it's available on the Epic Store. You can also play it through the Game Pass on PC, which is how I initially tried it. So, I mean, if I were to actually sit down and play through it, which I'd like to one of these days, there's some really good writing, but it would be a PC play for me. Yeah, and with the uh, kind of that sci-fi aesthetic, like classic Pulp Fiction vintage Mm sci-fi, it's just fun. Like, straight up, I found, like, a old school 50s style like shrink ray oh yeah, yeah with like the the weird like kind of like oval shape and like the rings and like the little bloop like antenna thing with the ball at the end of it like just straight up like stereotype ray gun or whatever from old sci-fi movies it's just a fun game and i i, I will eventually be revisiting it to play it in different ways because there's some really strong decision making that impact the how the game ends yeah and i really liked that which I think works for its shorter story length as well. It's not as daunting to try a different story when it's only 30 hours versus... Speaking of science fiction, we're going back to the Metroidvania genre, fellas, because coming out on February 4th is a game called Mind Seas. And this is a game that really would have flown under my radar, but I've been watching the developer create various animations and stuff for the past probably six or seven months. And it's finally coming together. Mind Seas is coming out on Steam. It's got a really unique, sharp kind of art style to it. If it plays as good as it looks, this has some very fluid movement options. And it's the type of thing that I can really see Metroidvania fans taking a hold of and having a field day with. So, I'm hopeful. Developed by Kamina Dimension, who had really only made a puzzle game previous to this. And I don't think this is a very big team. I think it's only like one or two people. It might even be a single dev. Because I'm guessing I'm not alone in not having heard of this one, so if someone's watching... Yeah, this is a unique one. Uh, It got a lot of Twitter interactions there for a bit, but if you're not on Twitter looking for indie games, you probably know nothing about it. (laughs) Heard movement options. I'm telling you, I love a Metroidvania with a lot of movement. The combat looks particularly interesting. It it seems like it has some Devil May Cry in there, and that's kind of cool. I'm down for this one. Yeah, it looks pretty fun. I was looking at it before we started, actually. Uh, have you uh, reached out to them about uh, reviewing? Not yet, but it's something that, because I'm, like, so backed up on the things that I already have, like, I'm still working on Gamester 81's game, too. I'm, I'm like, halfway through it. So, I'm it, if I was caught up, I would. I might, anyways. I don't know. Either way, <laughs> it looks really cool. Just, it's easy. Just quit your job and right? play video games. People would pay me for it. You know I would. <laughs> I mean, I made $100 in one year playing video games. Well, here's the thing. Are you guys tired of Metroidvanias? Because I'm not. But I feel like I should be. I'm not either. I was never really into them, so no. I've gotten way back into them from Hollow Knight, so. Yeah, ooh, ooh I need to sit down and put more time into Hollow Knight one of these days. I need to finish that damn uh, Path of Pain. Maybe when I go traveling back to the East Coast later this summer, maybe that'll be when I, like actually play Hollow Knight on the plane or something. That would be good. Okay, so, you know, the we were joking earlier about the game that we always say we're going to play and then never do for years and years. Uh-huh. For me, it's been Super Metroid. Ooh, that's I've, a, been I've on, never beat I've it. Been, I've been sitting on that game forever, so maybe that's, that's a stream in our future. I have a confession. I've never finished it. Zach, have you finished it? <laughs> Super Metroid? Yeah. 
I've never played a Metroid. Uh oh. Well, at least I've played one. <laughs> no, I think I've played one of them. Um, and I watched. Did you play the... another Metroid Two? No, I watched all of another Metroid Two because I didn't. Get oh right. Yeah, because it was kind of hard to get a hold of there for a little bit. I didn't find out for years because I I gave up playing the original Metroid and then found out I was very close to beating it. Oh, man. Years later, I was watching a speedrun and I was like, are you kidding me? That's how close I was? I gave up because it was just too hard. I couldn't figure out what what to do. Granted, I was like eight. I was like eight when I was playing it. I've never played much of the Metroid Prime series specifically because I'm not super into those. Although there's a mod that you can do that gives you keyboard and mouse control on Dolphin through emulation, Mm. and I really want to play that. But Super Metroid is a great one to play. (laughs) It feels kind of sluggish, so maybe pick up like a performance patch or something on the Super Nintendo. The one to start with, I think, for everybody is Metroid Zero Mission. That's a fantastic remake on the Game Boy Advance. I have Metroid Fusion on my 3DS. That one's also very good. I like that one a lot. But I think maybe because I have like the, the Super Nintendo Classic Edition with Super Metroid on it, mm. maybe just plug that into my capture card and that would be the way just, to go. Uh, sit down and play it. Well, I've never beat it. Maybe we should all try that. Yeah, we can all sit down and side stream... And whoever beats it first wins. <laughs> whoever beats it first has to buy the rest of his pizza. And have it delivered. So we have to call a local pizza place in Alaska, a local pizza place in Minnesota, and a local pizza place. Uh, what state are you in, Zach? I keep forgetting. Virginia. Virginia. I knew it was East Coast. I couldn't remember. You could just do it through Papa John's. It would work. <laughs> We've sent pizzas to people before. We'll have to get Joe so in Pokemon run with us here soon. Oh, the Pokemon race was so fun. We should do that with the the Game Boy Color ones. Yeah. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense, I don't think, with Crystal, because I think Crystal's longer. We did a speedrun race of red, blue, and yellow with Marshall. Zach won. I know nothing about speedrunning those games. We took a very basic speedrun approach to it. Zach was like, Nito King, horn drill, make some dumb shit happen. (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah, until I got to the fucking Mewtwo cave in every Pokemon crit, because I got some sort of really weird ROM. And I you forgot. caught some sort of bug or something that's like, oh, here's way more damage than usual. Yeah, and then I got to the end and forgot the Master Ball and had to go back and go get Mewtwo again. Yeah, see, if you just had the Master Ball, you could have won right there. Because that was our goal. We're like, first one to catch or kill Mewtwo, you win. And Zach, like, fucked it up at one point and had to go back. And we were, me and Marshall were so behind. <laughs> I think I might have been second. I don't remember. I don't know how. But we I got like so studied the speed run. So that's coming out on the fourth. Which one? Mindseize. Mindseize. Yes. So a couple days from now. All right. What else is coming out this month? Ooh, it, around that same time is a game that I've played, Dark Crystal: Age of Resistance Tactics. This is and basically by, by Final same Fantasy time. Games. You mean literally the same day? Yeah, it's the same day. Also <laughs> this week. That's coming to PS4, Xbox One, Switch, and PC. I played the Switch version at PAX West back in September. That build didn't look great, but the way they were talking, it was a pretty early build compared to what they were actually working on. And they actually wanted to put it out in December, I think, but they ended up pushing it back to February because they never, like, set and claimed a release date. But these are the same devs that did, like, Halo Wars and such. So they've always been kind of rooted in tactics, but they wanted to do their take on the Final Fantasy Tactics style of tactics game. So this feels exactly like a Final Fantasy Tactics game. And it could be good? I don't know. I'm like, I'm not super confident in what I played. 
but I really like the Dark Crystal universe having seen the movie and watching the new show on Netflix. Are you guys much for Dark Crystal? I like it. I haven't well, finished the TV show, which I need to. It's really good. I like it a lot. I watched the old one forever ago, and I started the new one, but I never got any further than like three or four episodes. I think me and Lauren just kind of forgot about it. It's a longer watch. It takes some time. It's good, though. It was a dark fantasy. Like, it was a kind of an eye... Like, I know for a lot of people, it was Labyrinth. That was kind of like the eye-opening kind of dark fantasy experience. For me, it was Dark Crystal. Right on. And so I just remember being kind of like enchanted by these like creepy kind of like the way they moved was weird and like this like wonderfully dark setting that you didn't really know a ton about its history. Just the kind of like the story, like it's kind of a small story. It's like a presumed underdog- history. Yeah. And it honestly, the story, now that I think about it as an adult, the story kind of sounds like the premise of like an eight minute, eight to 12 minute long metal song. Yeah. In a land ruled by evil <laughs> or whatever. Ah, the Skeksis eating real gross like. <laughs> yeah. There's one of them who just says, a lot <laughs> and then along comes a young hero will he have the strength to save everyone i've got nothing else for this bit sorry <laughs> that was it <laughs> we but did no, it. this game looks it's if you like final fantasy tactics and you're just real fucking itching for that style of game i think it's probably worth checking out at the very least uh We'll see kind of how release goes. Again, I don't have a lot of confidence in it, but I love that genre of game, and I love Final Fantasy Tactics specifically. So, maybe. (laughs) Might be good. I don't think it's going to be stellar. It'll be better than most, maybe. You know what else happened this week, Alex? What's that? Blizzard did a thing. Aw, Blizzard. They did a thing. They released Warcraft 3 Reforged. Well, that's good, right? Mm, Is it? I I know... It should be. It should be a good thing. <laughs> Seems like a no-brainer cash grab to me, but you know. Well, uh, one of our one of their most popular games ever made, high, critically very high rated, was released this week and disappointed apparently on many levels. Not only as a game, but Blizzard as a company. Mm, another uh oh from our friends at Blizzard. <laughs> um. The game underperformed. It did not meet expectations. There were some bugs, which is I'm less concerned about because those can be fixed. Yeah. But I think a big thing was is uh, the removal of Warcraft 3 Classic. So the original, if that was people's preference, was no longer accessible. It replaced Warcraft Classic, which means that people are just going to do what they've always done, download a portable kind of pirated version and just play that. Yeah, and so in the wake of this, people were seeking refunds, but had to seek help, so they went to the forum. And people who were helping get those refunds were finding themselves banned from the forums, as were the people who were seeking the refunds. Nice! Way and to so stagnate things. <laughs> this, is a, like, this is the perfect case of your actions are bringing more attention to the problem than if you had just let it happen. Yep. If you had just given people the refund, no one would be talking about how horrible you are. Really? Because I'll talk about how horrible they are all day. Yeah, Blizzard has really got on... Ever since... But for different reasons, yeah, you it... would be talking about them. You wouldn't be talking about them 
for silencing their community for just wanting a refund on a game that was didn't meet expectations. Now, see, I where I got into Reddit finally. I uh, got into like the community forums for Neverwinter, the release that's on console. Maybe it's on PC. Okay. That, uh, yeah, it's on the console. MMO. And um, all I find is like the community keeps getting censored, so they can't talk about what they want to talk about, or they find themselves in the same band waves and stuff. So I stopped playing the game altogether. So a similar I situation happened the game because with it was Neverwinter. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> so that that's a, the same kind of feeling that all these Blizzard players must be feeling right now. I'm sure. And what I think it's got to be that connection to Activision. Activision has really been souring almost every single thing they touch, in my opinion. Even things that should be so simple, like the Crash Team Racing remake, which everybody liked at first. And then a month after it came out, they injected it full of microtransactions. They did the same thing with a couple of the Call of Duties. No microtransactions at first. All the reviews came out. People kind of liked it. And then waves of microtransactions. Just horrible, hmm. horrible transactions. So well, I've heard that it's that's also on top of... There is free content that comes monthly, yeah? Oh, probably. But, like, all new the good tracks stuff and is characters. now. Like, I, I, as far as I know, it's new tracks and characters each month. I don't know how heavily the microtransaction. I haven't played it yet, but I have a friend that's really enjoying it, and he's just yeah. like, he gets, he's like, it gets a little exhausting because I want to keep up on the new content and the new racers, but they're just coming out with them so fast, and I only have so much time, and there's new games that I want to play. And what sucks uh, is keep- that game already had a storefront built into it for points that you got based on how much you played, right? But that storefront looks so similar to the Fortnite storefront that a lot of critics and players were like, this is going to maybe turn into something bad. And it did. And I think it's Activision is the the culprits of all this. Whoever their executives and stuff are, are really fucking over a bunch of really solid games. And I feel for the developers doing these. Uh, And then the final thing with the Warcraft 3 is um, kind of a huge slap to the modding community. Um, in the terms of service change that anything modded or created into Warcraft 3, Blizzard now owns the rights to. All of it. Not just All of it. the basic concepts. Anything you create in there, they, they can make money off it. They can claim it. They can repackage it. Mm-hmm. So if you're a so mod so, creator in Warcraft pop- 3, you might as well not. If something's super... Po- like, it's one thing when it's a community-driven thing and everyone's sharing everything for free and stuff like that and everyone's yeah. having a great time. But if you're doing that and you suddenly find the thing you made for sale, that changes the game. I think Left 4 Dead 2 found... There was a fan-made mod that ended up becoming actual official content, but it was just added to the base game. It was never sold separately. Right. And a I lot think of they different prom- companies will bring in their modding communities. Bethesda, I think, has even done this, too. But Bethesda have also been like, oh, we're going to basically take worse versions of what exists in mods and sell it at a premium. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's true, too. But I think this this kind of brings to the, uh, the main topic of the evening, which you suggested, which is modding and ownership to creation and IPs and all that stuff. Like... Blizzard does create the game and own all the assets that get used in a lot of the mods, and they are being manipulated and hacked within the game 
to do certain uh, perform different functions and things like that. So from that angle, I can see it. But then there are people that are so skilled that it basically becomes a new experience. Um, I know for a long time, there was a particularly um, famous and popular mod that allowed people to play heroes against each other called Dawn of the Ancients. Became so popular that Valve approached the person who made it to make an official from the ground up game that became Dota 2. One of the now, most popular PC games, period. Right. It, it's a free-to-play game that makes Valve a ton of money. Mm-hmm. It's one of the highest-grossing uh, esports available. Like, their Invitational was the first... I think back in the day was the first esport where the grand prize was over a million dollars. Yeah. They've it's, been neck and it's neck been with huge. League for a long time. League is more popular, I think, as far as like people that participate in it and viewers and stuff. But Dota has always been kind of like right behind. Yeah, it's kind of your Call of Duty versus Battlefield. Yeah, it's a similar comparison. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so what you have is this picture of something that started off as a mod in Warcraft 3 then became a fully realized full up from the game. If this terms of service was in effect when this happened, Blizzard would be suing Valve. Yeah. Because Blizzard owned the concept of Dawn of the Ancients. Granted, Valve could then come forward and just rename everything and redesign everything. Yeah. Because you can't, you cannot copyright game mechanics. Although it's been tried time and yes, time they again. try, yep, yep. they try, but it you it gets shut down pretty quickly because it's just such a abstract concept that you cannot tell someone that they can't create their card game because you've copyrighted the game mechanic of drawing cards. Yeah. I would like to see this particular terms of service challenge in court. At most things that Activision Blizzard does, I think need to be addressed <laughs> in a court of law with a group of game industry like experts helping out those lawyers to really understand what's going on here. My problem is that the coolest thing to me about this new remake for Warcraft 3 is the ability to just take all the custom maps that have ever existed in Warcraft 3 and be able to play them in Reforged. Well, now with this new Terms of Service, all those things carrying over are now just owned entirely by Blizzard. And I have a real problem with that. Because transformative works is something that you see in music, in literature, in stage play, in artworks. It's Mm -hmm. always been a thing, and it only is really a problem in the gaming space. I mean, granted, you do see sometimes in in film and stuff, it becomes a big enough issue where companies go, "Mm, maybe you shouldn't be doing that. But in games, like, things are derivative and transformative all the time. Whole genres appeared because of things like Doom, Super Mario World, even games like Half-Life and System Shock go on to inspire all these other sorts of games. And that is arguably a derivative work. Mods are very similar. They're just using the same kind of, like, engine and assets. That's where things get fucky. And then you have situations where game designers are creating mods and joining the community for their own games. George Romero mm-hmm. is famous for creating mods for his game. John Romero. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I'm thinking... I said, that, I said the filmmaker, didn't I? Yeah, yeah George Romero is the zombie god. John Romero is the long-haired doom dude. Yeah, no, you're right. Um... But he's famous for creating mods for his game. Yeah, that's a different situation because it was a developer creating mods with the modding. But he's no longer working going, for the studio. Well, yeah, because it's a thirty-year-old title. But that, right, but th- he's still making mods for it, and he's yeah. still like 
he was a part of that active community and encouraging of it. Technically, he's commercialized mods, too, because Sigil is like the unreleased chapter, the new attempt at him making levels. And so that was commercialized. You could actually buy it. It was a free download, but if you wanted the particular music, then it was an extra 10 bucks. Or if you wanted a collector's edition, it was, you know, 30 or 40. Yeah, and, it, and a lot of this stuff is, like, what do, what do you do in the situation where someone mods in another company's IP into your game, you know? I mean, if someone, if that someone sort decides of thing to... can... I understand why companies would maybe not want to have that commercialized, but I don't like the idea of it being blocked. Because some of the coolest shit that I've experienced is running around Skyrim with Final Fantasy weapons. And, like, that's an experience that you don't get anywhere else. Or the the person who uh, modded the goose from Untitled Goose Game into Resident Evil 2. Yeah, there's a whole subsection of... Like, mods have always been such an integral part of PC gaming that anything that goes against that really feels dirty and... Well, against it's a passion project of the community. Up. Yeah, no. Uh, the, Absolutely passion, and a lot of times you get great things out of it, like you were saying earlier. Like, it goes on to create new works and sometimes brand new games. Think about, and, and I think one thing that Blizzard might be forgetting in this is, where would Warcraft 3 be without that modding community? It wouldn't have been as popular as it was. I mean, it's a well-designed no, it game, but... It, mm. it was popular well beyond its release. Mm-hmm. even into the World of Warcraft era because of the modding community. People were competing with Dawn of the Ancients for years and years and years Yeah, until Dota 2 came out. But it kept that alive, that game alive for so much longer than it, it ever would have otherwise. And I think that's why, like, look at uh, Minecraft is basically a mod. You just create whatever you want. And that this game has been at the top of best-selling lists for every console for its entire existence. I think at the end of the day, the real challenge that the game industry has to sit down and consider is public ownership. And we can really kind of trace this back to being something that was kind of ripped apart by Disney because Mickey Mouse was about ready to be going into public domain and they threw up all this stuff that has basically ruined public domain for everything else ever since. And so we really need a system in place that's like, you know, after 10 or 15 years, these titles are, you can make derivative works out of them, you can repackage them, you can do what you want. Uh, If the company wants to resell their original game or remix it themselves, you know, they have the option to. But it really bothers me that, like, so many... No one's stopping them from selling their own. No, it bothers me that so many of these, like, excellent Super Mario World ROM hacks get shut down or, like, the really good Pokemon ROM hacks get shut down. We've got to get to a point where public domain is available for games. It has to come through eventually. Yeah, we're in a we're in a weird stage of copyright, you know. Yeah. Disney Disney was at the forefront of an entire industry. Mm-hmm. Up until that point, it was books, comic characters, paintings, things like that, things that stuck around. It wasn't, there wasn't this, the idea of pop culture was so much different. And now you have these things where a character is a mascot for an entire company, yeah, like Mickey Mouse. And so when they found out their mascot was going to go to public domain, they're like, well, we're still using that actively every day. People see Mickey Mouse and they think Disney. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, so I, I kind of see that sort of thing, but it, it created a new era of copyright where a mascot will outlive its creator for years and years and years. And if it goes to public domain, we've seen what happens to things that go to public domain. They're, they basically kind of get ignored by the creators because it doesn't make them any money anymore. And, it, and it, you know, yeah. things like Mystery Science Theater, putting a new spin on those works, bringing them back to life, or things like even like Nostalgia Critic and other reviewers going back and g- watching old movies and talking about them, bringing a new light or sense of humor to some a piece of film or game that is no longer owned by anyone in particular because it can be used by anyone for any reason because it's public domain. Public domain um, really kind of started with books and stories in mind, which is kind of ironic because a lot of Disney's most popular early works were all derivatives of those like Grim Fairy Tales right. or various fantasy stories. So like, it's it's super ironic, but it's like this worst case scenario for copyright even if you're somebody who makes a character and somebody happens to pull a patent and they like are have a bunch of legal power they could technically steal that creative work from you and so i think that globally there's going to be some major shift or things are just going to get worse for intellectual properties well you know and i think the music industry really struggles a lot yeah um i think they wish they had some of the control over copyright that the visual arts has because um, I don't think that there's any sort of piece of music that has the stank like the copyright power that Mickey Mouse has with Disney is insane. Mm-hmm. And part of that is because it's a visual medium. It's a character that's still being actively used. But at the same time, what would our industry what would the industry look like if you know by this time we would have lots of characters in the public domain batman superman spider-man all of them would be public domain by now which so what would those characters what would those movies look like today if they had no longer been owned by the people who created them and i appreciate that you know you could technically go to marvel with a comic book idea and be like hey i want to write this particular spider-man story and as long as it's good and you have the talent there's a pretty good chance you're going to be able to do that and they just take a cut of it which is fine I think that sort of approach is really cool. It's when companies really make an effort to just shut down fan projects that I've always had a problem with. Yeah, I like the idea of like that approach that Marvel's using. Like, you know, if you can do mm-hmm. it, it's good, it's solid. You give us a part, you do your thing. It's vetted, you know, because I'm sure that they are not going to let you write something that is going to be real bad. You know? Yeah, yeah. yeah I've got this great comic where Spider Man, in the end, Spider Man spanks Elsa from Frozen. You're really disturbed by that video. This is like the third time you brought this up. <laughs> I, I That's been just, scarred into your brain. I hate it so much. It's, oh, it's awful. Don't, no, no. Th- this is the one time, Zach, where I'm going to tell you not to Google something. Okay. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not worth it. It's a, it's a YouTube rabbit hole thing where yeah. children were finding themselves video autoplay. And eventually it would be on these really weird costume videos of, like, Spider-Man and Elsa in weird situations. They're just and, like, stupid skits made by people just fucking around. Right. Gotcha. Playing it's, with the new algorithms. They're like, they're but they are targeting they are targeting specific cho- specifically children with the algorithms and the, the SEO so that they get auto-played in the same stuff 
that yeah. children. So a parent goes, here's some children's music videos of children's music. Well, that video ends and it automatically plays the next two, three videos. Well, five or six videos in, suddenly it's... Which is why we have services now like YouTube Kids and the whole yeah. like COPPA situation coming back. But I think one of the thing. companies really handling fan-created works probably the best are things like Valve. And this may have... Depending on what circle you're in, this may may or not may not be true. But we've seen so many mods of like Half-Life and games in the Source Engine just become full-on franchises. Like we have Counter-Strike, Team Fortress. All those were kind of based on mods of Half-Life. That's true. Capcom also does a great job with their fan works. They put together Street Fighter Cross Mega Man with that one fan creator and released it for free on the anniversary. They supposedly hired a bunch of people that were working on a remake for Resident Evil 2 to go work on Resident Evil 2. I don't know if that's ever been proven to be true or not, but that was the story for a long time. And then there's studios like Lorian that literally hand every player the exact same tool set that they had to create the entire game. Yeah. With Divinity Original Sin 2, you have the entire tool set available to create your own scenarios and stories and characters and locations and settings. Everything that they used in the game is at your disposal for mm-hmm. creating your own. And they have the tools available to mod in your own custom characters and textures and content yeah. into the game. And it's available for you to share with other people. It's I- really, really cool. I think in the particular instance of Warcraft 3, if you're in the modding community and you're just playing around with some experiments and you maybe want to turn it into a full game eventually, I still think it's okay to be in Warcraft to make these experiments. I don't think there's a situation where you create something in Warcraft 3 and then you're like, oh, I'm going to make a full game out of this one particular idea. I don't think there's a situation where Blizzard would come after you. They just wouldn't want to, like... They just own that mod, so to speak. So if you're yeah. making a derivative of that mod, then you're in your whole new project. So th- in a lot of ways, this screws over a bunch of things, but it also doesn't really do much. And it'll be interesting to see what becomes of this particular terms of service change. Right. Well, I think I think a lot of it comes in the wake of Dota. the Dota 2 situ- yeah. situation. That's what if it was. They, if they had had this, they see Dota 2 as lost profits. Mm-hmm. For Good. them, that's money they should have had yeah. in their mind. And so to protect themselves from that happening again, there's, they're basically going to be saying, oh, you can't sell, you can't make this game because mm-hmm. we own it. And I totally get why Blizzard would do that. But it also just angers me because it kind of ruins a lot of the community. Yeah. It really defeats, it makes the community feel somewhat defeated. Yeah. Which lessens their Granted, passion we're not for a part of to work it. on it. So, I mean, right. people that are actually a part of it and actively engaging with this nonsense, those are the people most is, effective. This is the community that's review bombing it on Metacritic. Yo, it's a 0.5 currently in user. <laughs> last time I checked. They are Sterling very already put a video it. out on it. It's I, bad. Like, it's I, more I, dumb I shit from, from Activision Blizzard. I, yeah. I, I don't... I haven't bought it's, anything on their service in a long time. I didn't even buy Overwatch. Somebody bought it for me. Thank you, Brandon. We had some fun times. But I'm not coming back to Battle.net <laughs> personally, and I am glad that Bungie fucking darted out. They're on their own now. God bless them. <laughs> They're doing cool stuff now with Destiny 2. Not my thing, usually. But 
They're no longer a part of Activision Blizzard, and good on them. I really want to see Blizzard separate entirely, personally. I think that would fix a lot of issues. I'm surprised they already aren't their own thing. They're big enough and successful enough to operate on their own. They, I don't know. I, I don't understand I don't know why what they Activision even need provides Activision. them. What do they do? Active, Activision I mean, benefits from Blizzard more checks. than the other way. Maybe they're writing checks. Maybe they're doing this and that. I don't know. But I, I don't think it you seems need like, Blizzard. It seems like Activision benefits from Blizzard a lot more than the other way around. Mm -hmm. If I was the CEO of Blizzard, I would jump ship. I totally would. Or go shop to Disney. <laughs> if you're going to do that sort of thing, just jump in bed with the big shark. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. I personally have not been a fan of Activision Blizzard for a very long time. I'm very vocal about this. I criticize them at every chance I can. At the end of the day, I yeah. still like to be surprised. I have the Crash Bandicoot collection saved on my Steam. I'd love to sit down and play that. Same thing with Spyro. I love Spyro. So, I mean, they're going to put out games that I'll still eventually play, but, like, I'm not getting into their economies, and I don't like how they handle loot boxes, and they started this whole fucking debacle. So, like, I have a lot of anger towards Blizzard as a company and their decisions. Yeah. At the end of the day, there's better games, there's better companies. I understand a desire to protect their assets. Yeah, to I totally pursue, get that. And to pursue people who are actively making money off of their stuff. I agree with the chasing like of if, people if, doing if, commercialism of mods derivative from their work. But if someone if someone has a fan project that they just want to give people, honestly, that often turns into really good PR. news. Yeah, good PR for the company that created it. Like the number of games Usually. that Nintendo has shut fan projects that Nintendo has shut down are like Granted, passion projects. A lot of the times when Nintendo pursues that, these games are in development most of the time for years, and they don't shut it down until two or three days after it's launched. And at that point, it's all over the internet. So I I don't know if they're like consciously doing that to let things out and just be like, oh well, you can't do that, sorry. But in the back of their mind, they're like, go for it. <laughs> Maybe. Like I would I love know. to sit down and talk to whoever makes those decisions because that's how, what it feels how like great sometimes. would it be if Nintendo like exactly what if the old original Game Boy Pokemon was public domain and people could just remix it how they wanted to how cool would that be if they if if they embraced like yeah. the the Metroid fan project and in a way they are embracing it because Mario Maker is based off Lunar or Luna or whatever it's called the like Mario World altering software that's been around since like the 2000s or whatever yeah. That's how we got Mario Maker. No. I mean, Mario Maker is a smart move for them. There was a huge oh, community yeah. that was building, and then they're like, you know what? Why don't we just make a game that just gives them the tool set instead of all this modding weirdness that they have to go through? We yeah, just let's give make them some the fucking money on it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. Uh, and it's worked out very well for them. Mm -hmm. Now, with the, uh, oh. the like, modders and chasing down and, like, shutting them down, like you were saying earlier, I definitely agree with the chasing down people who are commercializing mods of your ip using your stuff <clears throat> um i think at yeah, the like, end of the day if the person doing the mod just has a tip jar like hey if you like what i do you have the option to donate that's totally cool I i'm okay with that personally i'm okay with that too i'm not okay with you have to pay some money to get this mod yeah, to play. yeah. um but then the only other time that i can see really chasing somebody down with a stick over their mod is like if they're doing some sort of uh, maybe say raunchy mod of their IP, which would give them yeah. bad press, or you know, give the wrong impression. Like yeah, that. like but if if someone was selling, if, yeah, if someone else was selling Daddy Gamer shirts with my, just straight up stole my logo, 
I would you know, be that's upset. something to send an email over and then be like, hey, don't do that. <laughs> yeah, and if they or if someone's creating daddy gamer episodes that are sexual in nature, I would be like, yeah, you need to stop that right now sort of thing because that is literally the opposite of what my channel is all about. Yeah. And so I understand those things. Like there have been some Pokemon ROM hacks that are explicit in nature and I understand Nintendo wanting to shut them down. Yeah. Yeah. I think eventually we might get to a public era space, but like if you're doing mods or something, you can't go two steps above the rating or whatever. So if it's a T rated game, you can't go to an A rating. If it's an E rated, you can't go to an M like that sort of thing. Maybe there's some cool things that you could set in place either as a company or as a law or something that could really help out just like the longevity of a lot of these longevity of a lot of these projects. Right. Or if we get to a, a, a space of public domain, just encouraging people to be upfront about what the intention of the mod is. Yeah. Because I think some of it is, ooh, I'm going to I'm going to make this thing and then when people open it up, blam, it's going to be explicit or scary or somewhere. Mm-hmm. So now I've scarred some 6-year-old who is excited to play a fan Mario game with some scary Mario Now, nine times out of ten, when a mod gets made like that, it's usually just fans loving the game. Five Nights at Mario. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, that that <laughs> has its own... There's some really good fan projects in the FNAF series, but it's a completely different situation, I think. Right. But in a lot of ways, fans are just wanting to be fans, and they want to learn yep. game design, and they want to remix their favorite things. They want to play around with the various tools that are available inside the game sometimes, or inject their own code and see if you can make, like, yeah. your own Pokemon I, or I something. Mean, I remember... So the, the copy of Final Fantasy VII that I have is actually the old PC version on Oh, disc. yeah. That's and unique. And there are mods available for it that upgrade the models and the textures. And so fully modded that game can look like a late stage ps2 game yeah and that's available on steam too there's a lot of workshop items and such my favorite thing with final fantasy right now and this goes for anything with pre-rendered backgrounds on the playstation is there's this movement going on using ai upscaling where they just take the background images run it through an ai like two or three times and it just makes these really high quality images for that and it's really cool to see what they come up with for things like Final Fantasy Nine, I re- there's like one person doing it for Legend of Dragoon, and I'm like, go get them, because <laughs> I want to play that so bad. Or like the, the the sheer number of people that create homebrew items or content or worlds and stories and classes and races for Dungeons and Dragons. The original like mix and match, make it your way type of game, huh? Right, and and the the tabletop gaming community set up in a really interesting way that if so if i come come up with a world and i lay out the rules of this world and fit them into the dungeons and dragons rule set and give them the tool give people the tools that they can use this world for their home game i can sell that yeah legally they have they have made it as a part of their terms of service that you can profit off their game system as long as you're not like I can't make something and be like, oh, yes, I created the idea of Neverwinter or whatever. I can't do anything of that nature. But if I, since I'm creating my own content, my own world and things like that, and I'm fitting this kind of like rule set to it, totally fine. 
and they've embraced it. They want people to feel passionate about Dungeons and Dragons. They want people. In fact, two books have come out in the last couple of years that are just homebrew books that Wizards of the Coast has approached them and said, we want to make a book off of your homebrew, make it official. Yeah. Acquisitions Incorporated and mm-hmm. Critical Role now have official Wizards of the Coast funded published books. And that's There's amazing. homebrew books published all the time. They're all over Kickstarter. You can find right, them at they're, any point. They're not, they're not officially published by Wizards of the Coast. Yeah, they're but they're legal. still like, they're embraced, so to speak. But right. it's cool that the Wizards like, this is good enough that we're going to like spread it to right. the far reaches of our circles. And so now you have like uh, the pa- the Penny Arcade guys sitting there going, we've been, we've been playing Dungeons and Dragons for years and now something we created is officially recognized Dungeons and Dragons content. Or Matt Mercer also being approached and being like, hey, we love what Critical Role has done for Dungeons and Dragons, and we would love for you to contribute Mm -hmm. to what you've done by giving fans the official tool set, and we will help you apply these tool sets. We'll help you write it, get it out there in the the best way. Because I think there was a, a book published but it wasn't like an official wizard of the coast product it was a third party here's what all these things are kind of thing and so i feel like this is very parallel to the modding community yeah it's another example of a community this is what being this is what happens when the company creators exactly Mm -hmm. so to heck with activision blizzard i feel (laughs) i feel for you warcraft players what are you guys playing right now um not a whole lot has changed other than uh I picked up the Kingdom Hearts 3 DLC. Uh-huh. How's that going? <laughs> <laughs> I've I've talked to you guys about it. Uh, listeners, you can wait until I'm done and read the review on the Forever Classic Games website when I'm done. Yeah, uh, that'll be there. Uh, oh, I've moved from Far Cry 5 to Far Cry New Dawn. Uh-huh. Not near as interesting, I think, is what you were saying a while back. So far, I mean, it it, it is and it isn't. There there are things that they added I really like, but there are things that I also previously liked that they've taken away. Oh, okay. And so while they've added things, they've taken away things, and it would have been better if those other things had stayed there. Uh, I was also kind of hoping they'd go even crazier with some of their concepts for weapons and car designs and things like that, and they've really grounded it in kind of like a survival. When you play like a survival horror game and you got to like, you got to hammer those nails into that bat in order to make a weapon... Yeah. They did it more that way rather than, yeah, now you uh, you found a, a radiated piece of wood and when you swing it, it shoots laser blasts. Like, that's the kind of stuff I was expecting because it is like a post-nuclear blast. Mm-hmm. Uh, same setting as Far Cry 5, but just 17 years after nukes were dropped on it. And so I was really hoping for some really crazy ideas, but I haven't seen them yet, so we'll see. I like the idea of a Far Cry game comes out and then they use that tool set to make something weird. They did that with uh, the Blood Dragon, Blood Dragon and Primal, Primal, and then this new one, New Dawn. I would love to sit down and play Primal. I think it's the most interesting to me. One of these days. I love going back to old first-person shooters. I don't know why. I just like play through a campaign and have a great time with it. But yeah, Final Fantasy X, still working my way through that. Um, I am streaming that one exclusively. There you go. So if people are interested in seeing my take on that, it is my first time through it. So follow me, DaddyGamerYT on Twitch. It's one of my least um, favorite Final Fantasies, but good on you. Bahamut's real cool. Wait till you see him. It's got color. Well, all of them have color. It's re- <laughs> No, it's really blue, like bright colors. Yeah. I like that. Zach, what are you playing? Anything better than Final Fantasy X? <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm still... Impossible. I'm still doing some streaming Probably. in seven days just to kind of chill. <clears throat> 
Now, is that oh, on Twitch the... as well or just Mixer? Uh, I've been bouncing back and forth, trying to see what All I'm right. picking up where. Because uh, I have a couple of people who it, watch it, on Mixer that are pretty cool, and they come in and chill and chat and share my fear of dogs. Is that the game you were playing when Alex and I came in and roasted you for 20 minutes? Yeah. Okay. I wouldn't call it roasting. <laughs> Fine. But, um, a light sizzling. But that a light heckle. Then I'm looking at picking up... Uh, Hollow Knight again. Of course, I just finished Scalebound. All right, yeah. And I'm going to hey, try to finish it. How was that? It was great. It was, it was so cool. fun. There's so few things that I have left from having it 100% that I'm really excited to get it to 100%. That game just makes me smile, right? Like, that's that smile energy. I felt the same way with A Hat in Time. Right. And if you guys are interested, I mean, we have the dev team in the Discord, so and they're pretty chatty when they start getting chatty. Oh, yeah. They bounce around Discord. We've got that interview. You can find them on Twitter. They're really friendly folks. What about you, Alex? What are you playing? Do you even play games? Do you even like video games? I play enough, all right? Just because I spent the past week editing all these episodes does not mean I didn't spend some solid time in my favorite world, Monster Hunter. I still love it. I'm playing through the uh, the Grand Appreciation Festival, which is really cool because a lot of the like event quests that I miss out on through various work reasons or different projects or whatever, I'm, like, going back and snagging. So I just picked up the Black Eagle Charge Blade, which is really cool because it was another weapon design winner. And there's also the Wiggler Palico Armor, which I've yet to get, that was also a contest-designed community thing. There's so a I- Wiggler Palico Armor? Yeah, click that link, man. How there's did a trailer. I miss that? It's got How a did li- I miss that? It's got a little pot for a body and a little Wiggler head. It's great. Oh, my goodness. That's so cute. I just love the Monster Hunter community so much that I really get excited when, like, a piece of what they've designed is in the game. And this is the same... I, I also maxed out the uh, the Wyvern Ignition sword that Frank Yang made, who we interviewed for Twin Galaxies. He was on our stream. Me and Zach played with him and his buddy. That was really fun. I wish I had that footage because it was just excellent. That was before I got good at, like, capturing gameplay. But you can max out that weapon. That weapon goes a stage higher now. So if you played with the Wyvern Ignition in high rank, in master rank, you can now get a really solid version of that. And it's beefy. It's in meaty chops. But it's been really fun. I really like Monster Hunter a lot. I, I need just, to jump in with you. I, yeah. I keep neglecting that game, even though I love it. I, I think just I'm keep getting like distracted by other grossly things. ahead of you guys. Because I'm in the point where I'm in like the Guiding Lands... I'm fighting Zen Ogres and shit now. I can go fight a Rajang. Like, I'm starting to get into the late game stuff. Well, come back and help us scrubs catch up. I can. (laughs) Whenever we get a moment. Ashen is the next one we need to sit down and play. Yes. Well, you've been been moving, so that's understandable. Now hopefully we'll get a couple evenings where you can just sit down and play some games. Yeah, yeah, I hope so. We'll, We'll find out. In the next couple of days, for sure. Now that I'm moved, I'm but, just unpacking and kind of chilling. I'll figure out everything else. Uh, yeah. Other. Yeah. Take your time. We'll be here, man. You'll have those three boxes that you unpa- unpack four years from now, finally, <laughs> and realize, oh, I didn't even want this stuff. Yeah. But when you finally get caught up, let me know, and we'll sit down and play some Ashen. I, I got to get cranking on that so we can have some content for it. I should have some time this weekend, regardless of everything going good or bad through the week. Cool. Maybe if anything, we'll plan on like Saturday morning or something doing some play if you're home. Yeah, that sounds good to me. Well, maybe. Yeah, it should sound good but, to me. I think I'm good that day. But Monster Hunter kind of goes back and forth to me. Like sometimes I take on more than I can chew, and it's really hard. And another game that's really hard is Sydney Hunter and the Curse of the Mayan, which we had John Lester, Game Store 81, on the show recently. 
about that particular project, and people are not fooling around. That is a hard game. Sometimes it's hard in a way that feels really unfair, but it's the type of game where, like, every single screen you come across, you have to consider, you have to plan out your moves, and then you have to execute them almost perfectly. There's not a whole lot of play in overcoming certain challenges. Like, some of the boss fights are just, you gotta do this one thing, and you gotta do it really good, like, four or five times in a row. Nintendo hard. Is that an action game? Do what? What kind of game is it? What kind of game is that? So, Sydney Hunter, there's it's a whole series of, like, Indiana Jones kind of platformers based on the uh, the old, I think, ColecoVision games, Montezuma's Revenge, oh, is okay. where they got the idea. But that has since evolved into kind of their own style. So you run around with, like, a whip at first. You eventually get a boomerang and a spear. And it's a lot of, like, 8-bit style platforming and jumping and stuff. Parts of it feel really NES Castlevania to me. And the idea that, like, most of your attacks have a slow wind-up at the beginning. And then, like, the hitbox comes out afterwards. So there's a lot of timing involved. Uh, You have to thread the needle, so to speak, in a lot of different areas. My biggest complaint about it right now is some of the enemies are really small and blend into the background. For example, you'll have a space where, like, there's a lot of greenery and grass, and they'll put a little itty-bitty tiny green snake there, and you'll be looking at all the other things moving on the screen and not see the snake, and then you lose one of your three or four hearts. And so it, it just immediately takes a hit from you. Oof. My strategy right now is to find a save point, because when you collect the collectible, it's a collectathon game. You get crystal skulls, and those unlock levels, kind of like Mario 64. So by the end of the game, when you get 100 crystal skulls, you can go to the final fight. But it's cool because they put in an extra, like, 10 or 15 skulls, so you don't have to get everything to do the final fight. You just have to get most of it. But when you pick up a skull, you can lose it if you die. So there are situations where you're going around hitting, like, three or four rooms to get three or four skulls, you make a mistake, and then you got to start over. And that gets really irritating really fast. So my strategy right now is to find a save point closest to wherever I was going, and then just go get a skull, go back to the save point. Get a skull, back to save point. So there's a lot of back and forth. It can get really tedious. But it's so damn hard that I, I'm, at, I'm at the point now mentally that I don't want to see this thing beat me. Like, I'm frustrated <laughs> to the point that I just want to overcome it. I definitely know what you're talking about. And then you've also been playing Temtem, yeah? Temtem is pretty much Pokemon. Uh, I don't know if it's better yet, but there's a lot of things that it's doing in the early game that I think is more engaging than early game Pokemon. This For, I, I haven't played it yet, but just like watching the trailers and stuff, uh-huh. it's got like a friendly art style, but I wouldn't say the designs are particularly inspiring. The monsters are fine. None of them really kind of grab... A, like, I don't feel attached to them yet, but of course I'm new to it. It's the character models that I don't think are very good. The The world is very cute. It's got a very basic art style. It's very colorful, very laid back. I think right now I'm most impressed with the music. The music is almost Animal Crossing levels of peaceful. So I think that, Zach, you specifically might really dig Temtem. Hmm. Especially because you probably haven't played a Pokemon in a while. True, I haven't. So I might have to check it out. I mean, time time depending, that'll be what I could do. Yeah. I do yeah. like trying new stuff. So. so where can people find you, Zach, on the internet? Exquisite liar everywhere. Except for Twitter, because it's still exquisite underscore liar. Mm-hmm. Alex? My Twitter handle has changed. It's now AC McCumbers. Whoa! I know, I made it like completely different. You're like but a it, real professional now. Yeah, I could get a check mark, right? <laughs> if I tried, get verified on Twitter. 
the big thing is foreverclassicgames.com. That's where most of our stuff is popping up now. Uh, and then for me, I am the Daddy Gamer on Twitter and Facebook, Daddy Gamer YT on Twitch, and Daddy Gamer Reviews on YouTube. And I recently launched a merch site. Yeah. So if if you are a dad who's a gamer and you would like some swag, you know I've got a shirt with a cool logo on it from the cha- YouTube channel, Daddy Gamer. Um, you can also get it as a sticker or a magnet. Uh, and then I also have like a little gamer as a goose, honking goose uh, image as a sticker as well. So not, not, not a whole lot up there. Eventually I want to get a little gamer loco mm-hmm. uh, shirt for kids. And then I also want to get, we have a couple of phrases that pop up pretty regularly um, in our, the show. One is the sign off, which is kids have fun and parents join them. And then the other one is it just, I don't know how it kept happening, but we just, Lily is really, yeah, Lily has really gotten attached to it and it's let's go on an adventure. That's cute. And so both of those things have kind of become a theme of the show of let's go on an adventure and kids have fun and parents join them. Just like really encouraging, just like, let's just make this a great time. Let's learn something. Mm-hmm. Let's experience something. And so that's been really fun. But yeah, Daddy Gamer merch. Who knew that was going to happen? We should probably put our logo on a t-shirt or something and, and give the proceeds to my sister or something. I think that'd be really cool. I don't know if anybody would buy a shirt, to be honest. I uh, I would if, if I would I would guarantee you I would buy one if I'd buy. A but shirt. this is and it would be in a situation where because like with Forever Classic Games, we got press access to an event. Yeah, I would buy a shirt just to have that branding for us at present. Because mm-hmm. yeah, I know if I, I ended know up in another pack, so I'm gonna get custom like hoodies or something made for us. So. But that is this week's Forever Classic Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Uh, if, we have, if you have any questions, you can give us an email at theforeverclassicpodcast at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. We can read your question on the air and answer it, uh, whether it's personal or video game related. I guess that's at our discretion. I mean, we'll uh, vet them first, but yeah. Right. Um, or reach, us, reach out to us on Twitter if there's any suggested guests, devs, personalities that you think we should reach out to to have on the show and interview. Uh, We love getting leads on what you as an audience are interested in hearing about. So if there's a topic you'd like us to discuss, please let us know. That stuff is super helpful for us so then we don't have to brainstorm our own ideas. Because we have a lot of them. The hard part's just choosing. (laughs) Every day I'm like, hey, this is cool. And then I'll like stew on that for weeks and eventually maybe do it. And that happens like 13 times a day. <laughs> it's exhausting. <laughs> You're too smart. But That's what yes. I like to tell myself. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Good night. Thank you, everybody, for hanging out with us. Stay cool.